Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. So there's that. What? I love it. I love it. Wow, it's 95 here. Where, where are you? Are you in uh, L.A.? Yeah, in L.A., in Pasadena. See, that's perfect. I go to school in Phoenix, so, like, I kind of wish okay. I was there because the numbers are really low there, and, like, here they're yeah. not so good, so. Right. I, I right. Are you, uh, everybody you know, are your family staying healthy so far? So far, so good. How about you? Everything? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Saw that uh, you guys were uh, going ahead, or at least the Dodgers were going ahead with your uh, new cooking show there for Cooking yeah. with Joe. You liking yeah, that? They've done some really, they've done some really cool uh, stuff with that. I mean, I was posting all kinds of it uh, my own social media, and then they were looking just for more stuff for, you know, more content for their own channels with uh, no baseball to put out yeah. there. And so they had me send them the videos, and they've been putting them together. They're doing a great job with them. I, I was eating a Longhorn uh, from Longhorn Steakhouse, a ribeye, about a couple hours ago, and I was looking through my feed on YouTube, and I came across your tomahawk ribeye episode, and I was kind of like, that looks a lot better than the ribeye I'm eating right now. Kind of, kind of. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> see it before you ordered the ribeye. I would have totally ruined it for you. No, honestly, before you even put it on the grill, it, it looked amazing. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so when you guys are on the road, like, what's probably the best place to find uh, smoked meat, since you seem to be, like, a big foodie? Like, when you guys are traveling around the country what's the best place that's recommended to go get go get some grub um when i'm going out to eat i'm, I'm not usually going out to get barbecue right uh, frank franklin barbecue in austin is great when it comes to that i've uh, been there for college football a few times that's yeah. my favorite barbecue spot interesting uh obviously talking to uh, being a young aspiring broadcaster like myself I, i'm always interested to hear uh big league broadcasters takes on this like what was, what was like the biggest itch for you to want to become a sports broadcaster and like was it a young age was it a little bit older like when did you get that itch and said hey you know what this is what I want to do with my life uh, as soon as I knew that 
there was a life to think about, a professional life to think about. Yeah. You know, as soon as, as early of an age as kids start thinking, this is what I want to be when I grow up, that's pretty much when I started saying that this is what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, I grew up in a sports family. My dad was a coach, and there was always a game on. So you know, just uh, just by being around it, I guess it kind of led me in that direction. And for whatever reason, I, I just paid close attention to the guys that were calling the game. And yeah. probably from fourth, fifth, sixth grade on, really began paying close attention. Did you have any, like, a spot or, like, any uh, favorite broadcaster growing up? Like, one guy you are like, this is, like, this is cool. This is what I want to do with my life. Like, any certain broadcasters you had in mind growing up that you were like, this yeah, is. Yeah, first voice that I listened to, I was like, that guy sounds awesome, and tried to copy him was Gary Thorne on NHL on ESPN. Yeah. In the early and mid-90s. And then Joe Buck was the guy that was calling all the biggest games while I was growing up. It still is, really. And I, I think that uh, I've probably taken more from him stylistically and um, and applied to myself than anybody. I just don't think there's anybody as good as he is at captioning and capturing a moment. Yeah. And and when you were younger, trying to break into the business, like obviously now I'm in that in those shoes right now, DMing you on Instagram and emailing you, trying to set up an interview. Did you reach out to anybody firsthand? And were there any mentors to you growing up as you were breaking into the business? Yeah, so many. I've been so lucky that there have been, you know, I, anytime I do this, you wind up leaving somebody out. But uh, Len Casper, uh, I grew up a big Cubs fan. Yeah. And so Len Casper and Pat Hughes were guys that I listened to all the time, Chip Carey before Len. And all those guys have become personal friends and mentors to me. Corey Provis, who was the number two to Pat Hughes and has gone on to Milwaukee and then Minnesota. He's another one who I got to know very quickly in my career. Brian Anderson in Milwaukee, um, Mike Tirico, Joe Buck have both become mentors. And uh, Gosh, it's just one of the great things about the industry is how how nice everybody is and how yeah. it seems like because you know, I, I know those guys were helped at some point in their career. Uh, they seem to want to pass it along, you know. Even though I didn't do anything to deserve their help, so many of them have been so selfless with their time and have given me so much. Right now, right now, you're doing the same for me in a sense. Like, how does it feel to be on like the other side of that? You know, like getting letters and DMs asking for broadcast advice. It's cool, man. Anytime I get, you know, I don't know if overwhelmed is the word, but anytime yeah. I'm like, gosh, there's a bunch of these emails to reply to, it's very easy for me to remind myself. Uh, being on the other side of it and what it meant to me to hear back from the guys that I admired and um, I had always told myself at that time that if I got in a position where I could pass it along and uh, pass it on that I was going to be sure to do that. Obviously now from a professional standpoint obviously you don't have all the time in the world to look at people's stuff but what would you say is kind of the biggest mistake that young broadcasters make today whether it's like on air stuff or even like behind the scenes stuff such as like social media posting the wrong thing like what do you think would be like the biggest mistake that you would steer young broadcasters away from as they pursue this? That's a good question I think off the air um, I don't know if it's a mistake as much as it is just a philosophy of you've got to nail the off-air basics. So when you're thinking of resume and cover letter yeah. and your communication when networking, you've got to be perfect on that stuff because there's so many people that want to do this. So like Double A Montgomery, the job I started out and there were 140 people that applied for that. Yeah. So yeah, for a decision maker, when there's 140 
resume sitting on the desk. If, if I'm that decision maker, I'm looking for any reason I possibly can to shorten the stack. And if I see a typo, if I see a font that's hard to read, that's as good a reason as any to get rid of it before I even listen to right. the tape. So you've got to nail that stuff. You know, control the controllables. And then on here, um, I mean, I, I just think that you've got to get reps to find where you belong um, in terms of excitement and where your where your voice works best when it comes to the range on excited calls um i think that there is a very specific especially baseball radio there's a very specific rhythm to it uh, that not a lot of guys get down and i think the fundamental philosophy behind it is that the pitch is everything the pitch is the most important thing and nothing we're talking about on radio specifically because tv is a little different right. but on radio there's no story we're talking about or no tangent we go on that's more important than the next pitch and so setting up every single pitch even if it's as simple as saying here's the two one or two two you got to do it on every pitch right you got to do it before the pitch is delivered or else you're going to be behind and that's going to lead to a common mistake and that is i i hear a lot guys going too fast and speeding their delivery up to try and catch up on highlight calls Mm -hmm. you can prevent that one by telling yourself don't speed up but two by doing each pitch it's due diligence and not putting yourself behind where you have to speed up now from your because you've done both uh, obviously starting out in radio now you're in tv what do you prefer because again they're like two totally different animals tv and uh, radio yeah it's been so long since i've done any radio i guess i'd have to say tv just because <laughs> it's probably been man, six or seven years yeah. since i've done any radio but radio's awesome it's just uh uh, and I wouldn't mind doing it again at some point. I'm not necessarily looking to do it again. I love doing it, but uh, yeah, I, whatever I'm whatever I'm getting paid to do, I'm enjoying for sure. Now you talked about your time in Montgomery with the Montgomery Biscuits. You were there for three years. You were juggling all sorts of other uh, broadcast gigs at the time, like the, the the Baylor Network. You were at Comcast Sports Southeast. Even in college, you were you were a college football player, and at the same time doing commentary during the off season. And the two words I always hear all the time are time management. Like, if you want to succeed, you got to manage your time. How did you go about managing your time with all of this on your plate? I was obsessive about it. I I would write down to the minute schedules. And I guess it was that was not me saying, okay, I'm going to nail time management because I know it's a good skill. It was more, I have to be great at time management or I have no chance. I took on so much stuff during college that it it was a means of survival. Um, and, and just that training of taking on as much as I did during college really has applied in, in so many ways, maybe more than anything else I learned during college in a classroom or even actual hands-on reps announcing games. You know, the, the time management skills that I picked up by putting so much on my plate, uh, I apply every single day, even when I'm not working, you know, in real life stuff. Now, did you do that by accident or was it your plan to challenge yourself from the get-go? I think it's just kind of my personality. Yeah. And I've always uh, always tried to do everything that I possibly could. And, um, it was my personality, and it was the right kind of school to have that personality where you could find people that were willing to help you out and, and help you chase down any opportunities that might be there or create opportunities that didn't exist. 
Now, this is always a fun question I like asking broadcasters just because, I, again, a young broadcaster in college, I've done it multiple times. Have you had any, like, really bad broadcast blunders on the air, whether it was from your time in college all the way up to now with uh, Sportsnet LA? I once introduced Miles Simon as Miles Austin. Sweet. Yeah, when he was one of my partners. Um, and then there's always, you know, little, uh, little moments that you like to have back. Actually, um, Richard Deitch on The Athletic did a piece recently where he asked a bunch of us, what is the one call you wish you could have back? Yeah. And thankfully, knock on wood, I don't have like a big moment that I feel like I truly blew. But I'm always going back and saying I wish I would have done this or that differently. See, that's really good because to me, uh, I've said it on, I think we had a softball game. I said sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt. And I was, yeah, like, it's just verbiage, right? Like, it it sounds really bad, but it's verbiage. I was talking to um, Victor Rojas last week. He said he dropped an F bomb in the middle of a Diamondbacks Angels game, and they ended up suspending him for two games. So, wow. So, like, you're in a good spot for that. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think that. We all make those kinds of yeah. mistakes, and you're going to make fewer of them the more you do it. Now, I was listening to you guys do, you and Oral have been doing your off-the-air podcast for uh, a few weeks now, and I listened to the episode that dropped today, which was you guys describing your calls to the big leagues. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Dave and Oral very different uh, compared to you being uh, more on the journalism side. In a nutshell here, I don't want you to get into all the gory details, because again, I don't want to waste too much of your time, but what was the whole experience like, uh, like getting that call from the Dodgers for their play-by-play position because like it just seemed like a total anxiety attack on my end like I, w- I would have been insanely anxious for the amount of time and uh, uh, just the experience that went into that yeah it was a very slow process you know as you heard more than a year long yeah um, it was thrilling it really was I mean it, it was thrilling it was exciting it was scary all the things you would imagine um, I'm sure there was some anxiety to it as well but I think the thing was I didn't feel like I had to take it right. I was in a good spot with the national stuff so it wasn't like one of those things where it was like I have to get this job or I'm screwed you know, right. I, I was kind of playing with house money a little bit because of the national work I already had so that probably made it less um, anxiety filled than you might imagine now when after all that goes down of course you got the the voicemail from Vince Scully and obviously like the whole big thing when you took over was Vince Scully's retiring Joe Davis is taking over obviously you're you Vince Vin the goal is to be yourself on the air did you and uh, Vince Scully ever talk about that experience of you taking over when he was ready to move on and did he offer any advice or encouragement when that transition occurred yeah his advice was to be myself yeah and same advice Red Barber gave him when he started in 1950 and there really wasn't a ton of time spent um Ben and I together just because he was, you know, 2016, he was doing home games, I was doing road games, so we were always in opposite places, but um, that was the big thing that he wanted me to take. I find that actually very fascinating that Red Barber gave him that advice and then he he stows it on to you. Like that, that's yeah. just, that's goose, that probably gave you a ton of goosebumps yes, right there. for sure, for sure. When was the first time, uh, all your years at Fox Sports as well, like when was the first time when, you, like you made it into broadcasting and you kind of had like that holy crap moment, like this is like this, I finally belong here, like that moment where you're like, okay, I'm now one of the guys. 
Uh, doing my first ESPN games was big. I think seeing the, you know, hearing the ESPN theme music and seeing the ESPN mic flag, and then my first game as the guy uh, with the Dodgers, my first opening day at Dodger Stadium, that was a pretty overwhelming thing to look out over the 53,000 people and you know, that iconic backdrop of the San Gabriels and to know what it meant to sit in the chair that I was sitting in. That was a pretty overwhelming moment, too. Obviously, now you've been with the Dodgers for a few years. Now you and Oral Hershiser, like, just chemistry right off the bat, I feel like. Like, how special is that? Because you don't get that, um, at least not off the bat, 10% of the time, you know? Like, even uh, in college, like, that's probably our biggest issue with uh, uh, two commentators trying to find that chemistry to kind of have a conversation throughout a broadcast. Like, how fun has it been uh, for you and Oral to kind of have that chemistry right off the bat? Uh, is, is everything and with a long baseball season you better at least put up with the person you know be okay putting up with the person that uh you're going to be with because you spend a lot of time with yeah. him so the fact that he and i have become best friends and really we're best friends right away we just we hit it off um that's been the biggest reason that it's gone well i think and he he deserves the credit on that putting his arm around me and making me feel welcome and um it's it's been a special thing getting to grow up in the job with him by my side. Now with the off the air podcast, is this just kind of a coronavirus setup, or do you guys plan on moving forward with this going forward? We're gonna keep doing it. Yeah, we're gonna Sweet. keep doing it even when the season begins. I think. Awesome. When it comes to uh, obviously you got your 150 plus Dodger play by play games, your role on the national side with Fox Sports. What's the preparation like for a regular season game compared to a postseason game? Because I know you did uh, the division series last year and even won American League Championship Series game last year. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think the I really uh, I guess the the difference is more. Dodgers to national than it is regular yeah. season to postseason. Yeah. I think that you know, I, I probably do. Um, you, you just got to you have to nail the basics again on less storylines um, when you're doing you know the national stuff. You got to have like the headlines for each player and for right. the season. Got to know the story of the season, uh, and, and you got a week to do that. Right when you're picking up two teams and and doing two new teams each week, whereas the Dodgers stuff you're doing that preparation every day you're kind of living it right, you're kind of living right. that story that yeah. writes itself over the summer has your uh, preparation evolved over the years from obviously sure. starting college all the way up till now even your time in the big leagues has it evolved yeah for sure i think it's always evolving i'm just always trying to be more efficient with it and, you know it goes back to the time management thing and you learn yeah. what to prioritize um, and not just time management, but I've found that less is more where like, I trust that I know this stuff and I do so much preparation. And then when it comes time to actually do it, I think it's important to, yeah, I've, I've found ways to prioritize what I take to a game with me, what I have in front of me during a game, um, where I, I feel more freed up and not bogged down by the prep. For obviously quick and close games, you guys are talking about the game, mentioning a few fun facts here along the way, trying to, again, paint that picture for the audience. Has there been a game, like a giant blowout game, where you guys almost ran out of information? Like, or Obviously, you guys have people talking in your ear. You're not going to run out of information. But like, when you actually look at your game prep, has there ever been a, a, a game where you actually started running out of stuff or out of notes to uh, talk about on the air? I think that, yeah, blowouts happen, and there's so many games. You're going to feel better some nights than others. Right. Um, and even even not all blowouts are created equal. Some of them move a little faster, and 
are a little more fun. It's different if the Dodgers are winning versus losing. Right. Um, every game is a little bit different. But, yeah, they're definitely nights where we feel like, God, we were not very entertaining tonight, not very interesting tonight. Um, but that's just, I guess, to be expected when there are as many games as there are. Do you prefer, like, a big blowout, a long game? Like, a long blowout game compared to a short, kind of uneventful game? Like, let's say there's, like, a four-hour game, but Dodgers win 20-4, to four, Bellinger hits four home runs. It's just a highlight package compared to a two-to-one game where nothing oh, really happens. Game. Get out of there easier? No, not, no. Just the drama of a two-one game is a whole lot better than right. a 20-to-4 game. Is there ever a time where you kind of, like I just kind of alluded to, uh, get out of a game like an hour and 45 minutes, two-hour game, you're like, well, that was quick and easy? Because, again, it For is sure. a long you haul. Yeah. feel better. The, the fast games... You always typically, you always feel better, um, I think, rhythmically, like in a quick game. A game that has a nice tempo to it, a nice pace. I always come away feeling like I was better. Whereas if the game drags and there's not much rhythm to it, pitchers taking forever between pitches, it's really hard to feel like you're smooth calling the game. Do you have a specific or favorite call that you've had since your time in LA with the Dodgers? Not necessarily. The cool thing is there's so many moments they've had in the few years that I've been there that they've given me a lot of chances to have memorable ones. So it's a long list of memorable moments. I don't necessarily have one call that I feel like was my best or anything like that, but very lucky that there were so many chances to be a a small part of a moment. Now, growing up, obviously, you played college football at at Beloit, and obviously, uh, being in the journalism side of things, too, on the media side, how easy or tough has it been building relationships with players? Because, obviously, you talk to them day in and day out basis. I don't know if you're in the clubhouse every day, but how how is building those relationships on a day-to-day day basis like yeah i've tried to let it happen as yeah. opposed to kind of throwing myself on them um it probably happened slower than it could have but i think that it's the right way to go about it my whole right. philosophy early on was to be seen but not heard so right. to be around and not be some some figure that was up in some dark figure up in the booth talking about them right um, right yeah I, I was there if if you know, if they needed to talk to me, if I said anything wrong, I was there to learn, but I was not there to say anything. Um, and, and have let those relationships develop over time. And I think playing the long game like that is probably uh, what I would recommend. Right. Have you had any? Um, I don't want to call it blunder, but like a like a, some like something you said on the air, and you had to go talk things over no, with a certain player. No. no? Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. Good. Four years on the job. I've never once had a player come up to me and say, you know, what the heck was that? Or you got this or that wrong. <laughs> right. So I'm sure it's a matter of time you know, it was for any of us, but um, so far so good. Wow, good for you. Do you think that uh, baseball is going to be played in 2020 in some capacity? Obviously now we're hearing that uh, at the earliest, that July 1st, July 2nd, they're aiming for opening day, June 10th, a potential spring training. But do you think that things are going to get rolling? And in what capacity do you think that MLB is going to be played this year? I hope it will be. I think that wherever it's played, it will be in front of fans, at least at first. But I don't think anybody really knows, man. Yeah. You know, it's like... To say you know is to say that you know what the virus is going to do and how we're going to control right. it and you know, how we're going to come up with a, 
a vaccine or, or not that it's going to take a vaccine to play, but uh, I just think that there's too much unknown for anybody to know for sure. Do you feel as if, because I think this is a very interesting concept because the Houston Astros, of course, were enemy number one going into the 2020 season. And I feel like this takes a huge hit out of that considering base, baseball fans and sports fans in general just want the sport to be back. So I feel like when the sport's back, it's not going to be as big of a deal as it was. But do you think that the Houston Astros scandal stuff and them being public enemy number one is going to uh, shift focus once again once the season does take place? Yeah, I think they'll get off a little easy on it. Yeah. Um, especially if nobody's in the stands. You know, they're not going to get... They're not going to get... Uh, they're going to hear it in every city the way I think that they were about to. Going forward as a professional broadcaster, what what do you what would you say is your biggest goal moving forward? Honestly, just to keep getting better and to be yeah. diligent about using every game as a chance to get better and, and taking every highlight call and learning from it and applying it the next day and uh, just uh, continue to, to develop all the skills that you know I'm sure you're working at right now. I, I never want to lose the passion for improving all those little things. I think the moment you do that in anything, in any line of work, um, that's not a good moment. So just to continue to get better and hopefully uh, keep the jobs that I have because I'm very lucky to have them. Right. And you talk about repetition. Have you been doing any any exercises, any kind of like air broadcasts over the past few months to try and stay no, ready for the season? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Enjoying a, a break for once. Yeah. That's for sure. Doing a lot of reading. Enjoying time with the family, of course. Yeah, exactly. Any new episodes of uh, Cooking with Joe coming out anytime soon? That I, need to know about? I think they're going to do one every other week. I haven't recorded anything, but I think they expect one sometime soon. It's an obligation now? It's a part of the contract? Uh, yeah, they don't have it in the contract yet, but I guess uh, via text it's become an obligation. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Aw, oh, dude. She's definitely gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.